1: Mr. Becky Mushlobo. Becky, are you there?
0: Hi, Sarah. I am here indeed. Good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. I'm glad to Excellent. be here.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, nice to have you on for the first time. I hope it won't be the last. I would I'm probably gonna canvas just a sort of potpourri of economic and financial issues with you. And mm. in no particular order, but just to get a sense of where things are, because I take the very firm view that Politics is actually economics, um, and economics is politics, and much as people might like to separate the two, it's actually not possible. So what I would like to ask, and I'm going back a little bit, and because it it has a huge impact on a really society impacted by a whole lot of unfortunate events, And that was the downgrading by Moody's of five of our municipalities. I think uh, quite a few people were shocked by this, particularly uh, some of the municipalities are doing relatively well and others are doing okay, if not perfectly. And so they were a little bit surprised about the junk status that uh, they found themselves in. Your views on this and what it portends.
0: Yeah, so my views on this is that looking at it, the concerns that were raised by Moody's is that of liquidity concerns. In other words, some of these municipalities and metros are unable to collect in terms of tax revenue in order to pay off their obligations as well as other projects they are pursuing. Uh, this is, uh, this is a thing that's honestly, um, quite understandable given South Africa's weak economic turnout. Uh, however, what I'd like to say, say here is that The risks involved with this, based on the average South African, what does this really mean uh, when it comes down to the average South African? It unfortunately means that as these municipalities are downgraded, and some of them downgraded to junk status, it means that it's going to be more expensive for them to acquire new capital to invest on their very – Capital intense projects such as that of bridges maintaining of roads and so forth, in other words it's going to cost them a lot more in terms of interest and that's money that could have been used on other things so it's going to unfortunately negatively impact the average of African in these particular municipalities but it's also unsurprising, given the fact that just a few weeks before the downgrading uh, it was it was uh, stated by the uh, auditor general that fruitless and wasteful expenditure amounted to $26 billion, uh, in, in in some of these municipalities. So it, it, this does not bode well in terms of uh, the, what we see in municipalities.
1: Um, one of the municipalities uh, that was downgraded, much to everybody's surprise, was Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, was it downgraded presumably for the same reason, the inability to, co- to collect rates? And uh, if so, I mean, how do, the, is the only way out for the municipalities to, to improve their collection rates?
0: Yeah, so that was, that's the most key thing that was raised by Moody's, the ability to collect uh, tax revenue. And in the context of a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of people losing their income, most of them couldn't uh, basically pay their rates and taxes. So that's also particularly the reason why what led to the decline in terms of collection levels. I think the only reason out of this situation is, firstly, yes, there needs to be measures in place to ensure an efficient collection of rates and taxes. But the fundamental issue is that South Africa's weak economic uh, growth levels. Um, South Africa is becoming an outlier in terms of other in what we see in other countries in terms of economic recovery in the short term, more specifically. Yes, we do see some recovery, some slight recovery in terms of business activity in the short term. However, the long-term trend for most of these businesses is rather stagnant and uh, unfortunately declining. Other countries, such as that the United States, United Kingdom, Germany, are close to their pre-pandemic levels. And in terms of employment, are like two percentages away from the uh, pre-pandemic levels like the United States, South Africa. Instead of seeing those same patterns, South Africa is becoming a trend line where we have more people unemployed now uh, than ever before in, since nineteen ninety four in absolute terms, as well as the youth unemployment rate of seventy five percent. So we have a lot of people losing their jobs, losing their incomes, unable to sustain themselves and their families, and unable to pay their rates and taxes, which unfortunately also leads to them uh, to some of these municipalities and metros being unable to collect in terms of uh, rates and taxes revenue.
1: So, if I if I'm if I understand it correctly, basically what's what's really hitting. The let's say the more competent metros, the, the 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 bigger the bigger municipalities, is policy at a national level. So whatever is making us weak perform weakly economically uh, at from national government is 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 essentially coming down on the on the metros and their ability, their ability to to. Uh, increased revenue collection is based on the fact that the policies are causing unemployment, lack of investment, etc., etc. I'm on the right track.
0: Yes, you're on the right track. There are, of course, certain cases of corruption in some of these municipalities, but the large driving factors, especially more on the more competent metros, is largely due to a declining economy and a declining income levels.
1: Yeah, I'd like to move, move on a bit just because I happened to notice this morning and, uh, you know, if you've got a view, let me know if not, let me know too. Um, I saw that Kasatu, who hasn't been very vocal since the unrest started, was complaining that the Reserve Bank last year, sorry, last week, the Reserve Bank did not drop interest rates further. Mm-hmm. Uh, should they have dropped interest rates? Uh, um, surely, if, you, if your interest rates keep going down, you're going to get no investment whatsoever.
0: Yeah, so that's that's a very good question in terms of interest rates. Um, what we see predominantly in terms of trade unions and certain national treasury uh, officials is that there's a dominant thinking taking place, and that is that, and it's called t- monetary monetary modernity uh, MMT modern monetary theory. Basically, states that a country can never go broke if it prints money in its own currency uh, to find its expenditures. And the same thing could be said for interest rates. A lot of these individuals would like interest rates to go a lot lower than what they are. Uh, while they base this argument based on the low performance of the South African economy, um, not a lot of people being absorbed in the labor market, therefore the sub needs to lower interest rates. By lowering interest rates, the intended aim is to uh, lower the costs of borrowing funds So they essentially would like businesses to borrow more from commercial banks and expand their operations and hire more people. That's the objective they would like to achieve. But the consequence that they don't think about is that that is an inflationary measure. Whenever the sub drops interest rates, it leads to the increase in the money supply in South Africa, which is inflationary, which is the South African economy. And already... Households, poor households facing levels of increased inflationary, inflationary levels in terms of consumer products as well as rising fuel prices, so uh, at the end of the day in the long run, it unfortunately negatively impacts the people that are intended that, that they intend to assist in the first place mm.
1: that 's a very South African story um, i 'd like to go to tiger brands um. Yeah. Now, Tiger Brands had the disaster with the, uh, the, st- the, the stereosis outbreak that occurred as a result of its own processed meat. It cost it, I think it cost it some billions. Um it suffered badly in the riots and unrest of the last couple of weeks because it had an, millions of rands worth of damage done, um in stores that, that, that contain its, 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 uh, its products, as well as its its manufacturing and distribution centres in 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 Natal, now it's had to with, with draw or recall a certain number of canned goods. I think baked beans, coup baked beans, a classic, was one of them, and it would cost them about half a billion rand to recall these these tins because apparently they haven't been properly soldered along the side, so they may be open to leakage. On earth does a, an organization cope with these amounts of unexpected catastrophes?
0: Yeah, so in terms of Tiger Brands, uh, what I saw from that is that they state that it's largely because of the supplier. Uh, that was the main reason why the, uh, the, the, the container essentially wasn't sealed properly and started leaking and so forth. That's why they needed to be recalled. Um, what I draw from what's currently occurring is that these cases do occur, such as that of listeriosis and so forth. But um, it and it does come at the cost of tiger brands. It is, in, unfortunately, very serious uh, in, in terms of it being um, costly to the bottom line, turnover and so forth. However, what I'd like to s- draw a distinction between this is that whenever there is crisis, when I see in private firms, uh, the private firms usually deals the blow, and pays the bills. Whereas when we see in in SOEs, such as SAA, usually the people that pay the price is that of the South African citizen in terms of uh, uh, tax money that they need to pay because of the bailouts. Now, of course, average South Africans do also pay in terms of tiger brands because of the products we buy, but when a South African citizen could always go to tiger brains and return that uh, that tinned beans and tinned vegetables back to the producer. So these problems do occur, but they really occur in large scale, like what we see in that
1: So they can recover from it relatively quickly.
0: Yeah, they can recover it relatively quickly, given that the costs of it are not massive. And I don't think they will be massive in the long term, these costs. They are, they are unfortunately uh, very uh, negative, but you know, mm-hmm. I think they will be able to recover from this, such as how they did with Listerosis uh, in the Yeah.
1: Although that obviously has a, has a huge reputational, uh, uh, yes. created a huge reputational pr- uh, problem, particularly because they were a bit late to the party in admitting that, that they were the source of it. And one thing I, I remember sort of back in my legal days is that you never benefited from taking too long to admit you were wrong Uh, it it seems to be a problem often in business that if you come up front and say you've done it you apologize um, you'll do whatever you can your the ability to regain your reputation is much greater and I think the classic example of that Um, and I forget the name of the product, but it was O-Tylenol in the States uh, a couple of decades ago when there was a real disaster with razor blades being found in in Tylenol products. And what the uh, company did was immediately withdrew all the product, admitted what had happened, Kept the product off the shelf for a while and by the time they put the product back on the shelf in the way that they'd handle it, their sales were back to normal in a relatively quick period of time. But very few companies are are willing to, are willing to make those apologies timeously. And I'm I'm not sure it ever does them any good not to do so.
0: Yeah, you spot on there. Uh, Companies that do wrong tend to uh, gain they trust back from consumers whenever they apologize and recall their products and so forth, and the ones that don't unfortunately leave it until late uh, for the simple re- the consumers will not buy their products for the simple reason that they're not sure whether uh, if they buy another product for them, whether it's it's the great product it won't cause them any harm in terms of health matters and so forth long term health matters and so forth so forth and if companies don't apologize and recall their products in time not when they're caught out. Uh, they will lose out their consumer base uh, because it's very easy for a South African consumer or any consumer around the globe to say that if, for example, let's use this example of Tiger Brands. If Tiger Brands uh, is late to the party and the consumer feels like Tiger Brands is not fulfilling uh, their, their, their intended objective to sell a safe product to the particular consumer, this consumer will go somewhere else and Tiger Brands will lose out. So what I see is that Companies that are that have integrity, essentially, I think that's what we're talking about here. That have integrity and apologize for the defi- deficient products to their consumers, then they tend to gain their trust back.
1: I think it's also a reflection of a natural human instinct, and that is that people, you know, if you if you immediately if you apologize and take action, you're, the instinct is to forgive. If you mm. don't, the instinct is not to forgive. But I'd like to now move on to the other side. You mentioned SOEs, and that is the fact that Mango Airlines, which is SAA's local airline, has now gone into business rescue. I mean, I think it took about three years to get to this point. We're finally, you know, waiting for the government to give give them the few hundred million that – that it promised to do has not yet materialized. And one gets the impression, and I've interested in your view on this, that, uh, Pravin Gordon has essentially decided to throw Mango under the bus of SAA in, in the hope of keeping, taking whatever Mango would have got. <laughs> Putting it into SAA to make it float.
0: Yeah, so I'd like to also draw us back to what Praveen Gordon said essentially about state mm-hmm. He he stated that they will rise like a phoenix, essentially from where they currently are. And mm-hmm. w- whenever yeah, whenever he was critiqued, well, he stationed, he he essentially structured in such a way that, in terms of the EE lines, that whenever someone would try to critique. What he was trying to do with SOEs, they would, they would, he would label them as a racist. He do not particularly do this, but that's what my read was, given what was going on. And the unfortunate thing with SOEs currently is that they badly run. Uh, honestly, that's why they're going to um, business rescue. That's why they're um, unable to basically go, go, carry on an on ongoing concern. And they just need to be sold out. They need to be sold. uh I don't understand the, the, the objective of holding, um, a state-owned enterprise that's not profitable mm. and that is a burdensome to South African citizens. I mean, as it currently stands, so that in terms of revenue in, as a proportion of GDP never has before the South African government extracted from the South African economy as it currently stands. Mm. And these SOEs are a drain on the fiscus they drain drained in terms of future tax revenue that needs to be paid by future generations in South Africa. And unfortunately that negatively impacts poor households. So that's the reason why these poor, these, these, SOEs need to be sold because they negatively impact the average South African in terms of tax, tax money that they need to pay. It doesn't only come from direct income taxes, also VAT mm-hmm. and excess duties and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're taxed up to our wazoo. But the, the yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about the, the environment that Mango operates in is that it's a perfect example of being in a competitive environment with three or four private carriers that know how to stay afloat or fly and, and are succeeding in doing so, notwithstanding the very difficult times we're in and the constant sort of tightening and loosening of lockdowns. And the, the private sector, I mean, there's no guarantee that the, the, that the companies will last, but the, um, the, the, the private sector is certainly, you know, um, getting getting ahead in a way that just the SOEs can't. I mean, they adjust, they adjust for their circumstances, and they are lean. And one can never accuse the government of either adjusting or being lean.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I like the the difference that you've drawn there, Sarah, that of a private entity. Such as it it's use British Airways and that of a government entity, uh, SAA, Mango and so forth. The true difference between the, 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 the two entities is that one is driven by incentive, the incentive that if, if it's not profitable, then it can fail. Um, and the, the investors and the people that put their capital in basically lose out on the investment. That's why they, they do it by all means to make their companies, um, Um, uh, valuable to the consumer whereas one that's state-owned and and whenever it's at fault it needs a bailout and that's Mm -hmm. why we currently see them uh constantly being unprofitable constantly going to debt because they don't face the same incentives as that of a private company. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life Welcome
1: back and welcome back to my guest, Becky Maslobo. He's a colleague and analyst at the Center for Risk Analysis. Um, so they do work largely pertaining to finance and economics. But as I said, finance and economics are politics and politics are finance and economics. Um, Becky, I wanted to raise again something I saw this morning and we, we've, I mean, it's been discussed for the last couple of days and that is the, the concept of Basic income grant, and particularly in light of the fact that the government has undertaken to reinstitute the grant of 350 rand for for COVID relief, essentially, and there was an interesting comment, and I'd be interested to hear your view on on the on the, the wisdom or otherwise of the income grant as opposed to the absolute necessity of it. In that, Peter Atard Mantolta, who's a A consultant on uh, on economic issues said it, and I quote, "It would hobble the poor forever to be to be receiving income grants at this on this scale for this period of time." What is your view on the sustainability of income of income grants?
0: Yeah, so a theme that I'd like to touch on, yes, sir, which is something that you've drawn on, and it's basically been a theme that we've been uh, talking about uh, throughout the, the conversation that we've been having, is that bad way of thinking equals bad policy, which equals bad economic results. What we're currently seeing from the Ramaphosa administration is that they are very good, or rather they are that of a distraction or deflection administration from the core issues uh currently um occurring in South africa and that is what is occurring with the basic uh, the universal basic income is that it is a deflection from the core issues uh, that is currently um grabbing uh, grabbing the of african economies. that is that of unemployment high unemployment rates Uh, People are unable to access income for themselves and their families. And the only way to address that is a policy matter. The problem that we have in South Africa is that of a policy matter, which the current administration is reluctant at addressing. That is why they are trying to implement a UBIC to deflect from the core issues currently occurring in the country. The same reason why they stated that the protest that we saw two weeks ago was an insurrection or a coup d'etat rather than that of starvation and desperation and declining living standards in the country. They are deflecting from the core issues uh, currently occurring in the country. In terms of the UBIC itself, a case could be made that it allows families or certain individuals to get a form of income to sustain themselves as they currently do not have a job, and I get that argument. However, it needs to be accompanied by a way of a budget surplus. In South Africa does not have that as it currently stands. Our budget deficit currently stands at 14% as a proportion of GDP, and our debt levels are near 90%. So the costs of a UBIC, unfortunately, as it currently stands, outweigh that of uh, the benefits that are we that may assist the families. What the only way out of the mess that South Africa is currently going through is to grow the South African economy. That means addressing policy math. Policy policy problems, so that South Africa can grow at levels in what we see in other emerging markets, it could be sustainable if South Africa had a budget surplus and cut its civil servants, but as where the country currently is, currently there's 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 no way this is sustainable.
1: So essentially. Uh, basic income grants per se are, are, are not necessarily a negative thing at all, but their sustainability depends on a sh- of shrinking unemployment so the, getting more people out of the, out of use of the funds of, of the grant into employment um, and both but it makes them less reliant on on basic grants it, it makes the recipients um, less reliant on the grant. so the grants then become or remain uh, a more feasible way of dealing with people who simply are just not going to be employed or or can't be upskilled.
0: Mm. The the average South African is actually a very hardworking individual. Uh, we, I, I quote the IRS polling data on this, Sarah, is that the most impressing issue on the average South African mind is that of employment. Mm. South Africans want to simply get a job so that they can um, work and provide for their families and so forth. And, um, th- this is something that I don't think, like I said before, that the current administration will be able to address because the cost of the UPIC, we, our calculation estimates that it will cost the, the fiscus about 89 billion rands a year. That's 2% of GDP and has a possibility of moving the budget deficit in that margin. The risks of that in future is that of increase in taxes as well as an inflationary risk as well. We'll see certain individuals being, uh, being more inclined to, uh, portray the ideas or state ideas, such as that the South African uh, uh, the South African government could simply it. and That's a risk that South Africa cannot uh, afford in future.
1: And probably the last issue I'd like to just raise with you is the finalization of the public sector wage bill for the, for the coming year. Um, in normal in, in normal circumstances, it wouldn't look that uh, large or that concerning. But in the current circumstances. If you're looking at about, I think, what is it, 20 billion rand is what it would cost us to, to increase, you know, to give the benefits that have come up in this agreement. The public sector wage bill is singularly our largest expense and, and the most, the one that needs to be cut the most to help Mm. get us out of the mess we're in. Um, Surely, difficult as it is, the answer to this was, as in the private sector, we haven't got, we really haven't got the money. We really can't offer you anything this year.
0: Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate, unfortunate, uh, honestly, because what we saw last year, we saw a lot of businesses being liquidated, even currently after looting. So a lot of businesses will be unable to recover. But in terms of the civil service, uh, a larger proportion of them, maintain the jobs. And, and I'm not saying they should lose their jobs. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that they unfortunately they don't um, meet the same risks as what we see in private enterprises. Mm. And as it currently stands, South Africa cannot afford to increase a, a civil service uh, in salaries. Uh, there's simply no way. In fact, a lot of companies as it currently stands, just are not increasing the salaries and salaries of the workers because of what's currently going on in terms of lockdowns and so forth. So the only way in which South Africa can reduce its costs in terms of the fiscus is to cut the civil service wage bill, which my calculations in terms uh, when I last looked at this was was close to about seven hundred. No, sorry, sorry, seven seven billion, seven seven billion. Seven hundred billion, Sorry, rents
1: Seven hundred billion.
0: Yes, seven hundred. It's extremely. It's a lot. It's it's a lot.
1: I mean, if you what's. I mean, if you think about, it's 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 an extraordinary percentage of our GDP. It actually goes more than just that that the private sector is not increasing wages and conditions of employment. It's that in very many uh, instances, in order to survive, they either they actually have to take cuts in certain respects just to keep an organization afloat and to keep people employed so i think this this is this goes part this goes to a a great deal to the lack of sympathy perhaps that uh that the public feel for the public service um becky thank you very very much for joining joining me today notwithstanding the uh, lack of internet activity at the beginning but i think we managed to Give you your a full amount of time, and I, if you would, I'd like to have you back because there's always, always economic stuff to to be astounded by, and often in this country very depressed by. So thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you at another time.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me on, and I look forward to our next uh, uh, conversation that we might have on your show.
1: So sure. good to see you then.
0: See you then. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
1: I've often said that, um, pardon the expression, but that business should show more testicular fortitude in dealing with the government, uh, particularly as it, we actually rely on business to, to get us out of this mess in the long run. And most interestingly, um, Pitleru, who is the CEO of Sakerlecher. Put out a statement, a press release uh, yesterday. Now, Sakhile represents small business, uh, smallish business, and um, is, a, is, a, is a actually a very dynamic organisation. And you'll get a sense of it by what uh, what Pietlaru said. He basically said the government does not have businesses' support for more of the same, and he referred to the address given by uh, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa on the 25th of July. He says it's required and foreseeable that in the months and years ahead, businesses continue altering course themselves. Businesses are and will be developing plans and strategies that factor in harmful state interventions and state failure, seeking ways to ensure continuity despite a continuously centralizing political elite. When almost everything a government wants to be responsible for in a country goes wrong, It is time for that government to alter course, not double down. One would think that after listing so many aspects of the country's predicament, a government would announce that it is reconsidering at least the timelines of its interventionist policies and the principles of lockdown strategy. Yet from the president, we heard the opposite. In another of these addresses in which President Ramaphosa broadcast instructions with immediate effect to 60 million people, and he, had, just on a little bit on that point, I mean, he raises the fact that after the first lockdown or maybe, maybe the second, we were not given four or five days to prepare for whatever decision it was they had taken. The, the lockdowns, the changes and particularly the, the more drastic changes happened immediately. And that in itself speaks to the fact that government has absolutely no idea how business does business and, and, and how organizations, in fact, any organizations, business or or, or public, operate. And the fact that you suddenly say that there will be a a curfew from 10 o'clock to 9 o'clock by, you know, tonight, gives absolutely no account for how difficult it makes it for people, and people become increasingly and increasingly resentful. Uh, LaRue goes on to say, from a government perspective, when an economy can no longer bear its interventions, it is time to let that economy recover and let its people earn a living, not embark on unprecedented unprecedented dependency-forming and unsustainable welfare schemes. So that takes us back to our, some of our discussion with Becky. And uh, that's it for this morning, and I'd like to thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you can, in the intervening week, read... Dailyfriend.co.za in which we have wonderful articles, fun podcasts and videos and, uh, keep, keep you going until we next, until we next meet next Tuesday. Goodbye.